Walter Samples opened the door of his Memphis home on a cold February morning in 1941. He grabbed the morning edition of the commercial appeal, and as he reached down for that newspaper, he was surprised to see a bottle of milk had been left on the porch. It was odd because he hadn't placed an order with his milkman. Walter checked with his neighbors to see if possibly their milk had been delivered by mistake, but theirs had come as scheduled. Now, Walter Samples loved milk. In fact, the 69-year-old drank it with just about every meal. He assumed it was a sample of some kind from a new dairy. So he placed the bottle in his refrigerator and thought nothing of it until he dressed for the day and made his breakfast. Soon after Walter drank a glass of that milk, he learned that old saying is true. Revenge is best served cold. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard, and this is the mystery of the poisoned milk bottle. Walter Samples was born in Missouri, where he attended university and studied engineering. He served with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers during the War of 1898 known as the Spanish-American War. Walter relocated to Memphis around 1901, where he continued to work with U.S. engineers until he retired. At 69 years old, Walter lived alone and led a rather quiet life. His neighbors liked him, but never really felt like they knew a lot about him, apart from him being a bachelor with no children. They also assumed he had a lot of money, because he owned several rental properties and had retired with a pension from the War Department. He was that older, friendly-looking, white-haired guy in the neighborhood who always said hello when he was out working in his yard, which he took great pride in maintaining. Walter was away from home most nights through the week because of his passion for playing bridge and his volunteer work for the Memphis chapter of the Spanish-American War Veterans Association. Walter was a creature of habit, kept to the same schedule every day, and whenever he sat down to a meal, it had to include a glass of cold milk. It was good for him, and he was health conscious, the kind of guy who considered raw carrots and spinach to be a nice snack. Walter didn't order milk delivery very often because he ate a majority of his meals away from home with his friends at the Veterans Association or from Bridge Club. Early on the morning of February 25th, 1941, Walter reached for his purple dressing gown, wrapped it tight around him, opened his front door, and shivered as cold air struck his face. He reached down to quickly pick up his newspaper and go back inside. But he paused when he noticed a bottle of milk was on the front porch. He hadn't placed an order and the bottle didn't look like the one that was normally delivered. When he checked with his neighbors and learned this wasn't their milk that had been left at his door, he was happy to get a freebie, assuming it was a promotional bottle left from a new dairy. He placed the bottle in his refrigerator and went to get dressed for the day. 
Walter then made eggs and toast for breakfast and washed it down with a cold glass of milk before driving to one of his local rental properties. He wanted to check in on some workers who were helping with renovations. Now, just after he arrived at the rental property, he felt this strange sensation in his throat. And minutes later, he reached for his stomach and was doubled over in pain. Walter thought it best to go home, but as he was driving, he felt sick and had to pull over. He opened his car door just in time as he became overcome with an intense bout of nausea and vomiting. He waited a few minutes, closed the door, and was able to make it home and call a friend, Mrs. Shirley Mills. Shirley was an official in the Veterans Auxiliary, and her late husband had been a good friend to Walter. When Walter called Shirley, he was only able to say a few words before he fainted. Shirley, being the good and concerned friend, rushed to Walter's house to check on him. When she arrived, she found him conscious, but he was once again violently sick. She called for a doctor who asked what Walter had been eating. Walter mentioned what he had for breakfast, including that glass of milk. And when the doctor went to the refrigerator and sniffed the bottle, he said it smelled a little strange and advised Shirley to have it analyzed. The doctor told Shirley it did look like Walter had food poisoning, so he prescribed a saline laxative and left Shirley to nurse her friend, who was in a horrible state, writhing and moaning in pain. But by morning, Walter's samples felt better. He encouraged Shirley to go ahead and go to work, saying he'd be all right on his own. Walter did as the doctor had told him. He stayed home, took his medicine, And as the day went on, he continued to feel better. So much better that late in the afternoon, he called Shirley at work and invited her to dinner. They ordered in a light meal of soup and salad. And when Shirley left Walter's house, he was retiring to his room for the night with a glass of milk. The next morning, Walter was awakened by a horrible pain in his side and was overcome once again with waves of nausea. When he called the doctor, he was told it was probably his body responding to how violently sick he had been the past day and the laxatives he had been taking. But when Shirley stopped by around noon and saw Walter once again doubled over in pain, she told him it was time to go to the veteran's hospital. She called for an ambulance And even as he was dealing with that intense pain, the always sensible Walter asked Shirley to call and have his newspaper delivery stopped in case he had to stay at the hospital for a few days. He didn't want newspapers cluttering his front porch and causing an eyesore for his neighbors. When Walter arrived at Veterans Hospital, doctors began running tests and Walter was calm seemed to improve a bit. He talked to Shirley about a flower sale they were helping arrange to raise money for the local veterans fund. Around 9 p.m., Shirley left Walter at the hospital, where he seemed to be fairly comfortable and on the mend. But two hours later, around 11 p.m., a patient walked by Walter's room and noticed he did not look good at all. 
He looked deathly pale, so the patient called for a nurse. The hospital staff rushed to help, but it was too late. Walter Samples died at 11.40 p.m. on February 27th. Walter's medical chart noted he died from stoppage of the heart, and no one thought anything seemed out of the ordinary with his death until Shirley Mills learned her friend had passed away. Early the next morning, when Shirley got the news that Walter died, she remembered the doctor saying something about the milk smelling strange and that it should be analyzed. She had been so busy the past day and a half trying to help Walter, she had forgotten about it. She immediately went to Walter's house to get the milk and delivered it to the police for analysis. She explained how it had mysteriously shown up on his front porch. She then wired Walter's brother, Donald, in Oklahoma to break the news that Walter had died. Two days later, police analysis found the milk contained high levels of rat poison, and an autopsy showed the same substance was in Walter's body. Police ruled Walter Samples had been murdered and set about solving the mystery of who wanted to kill this retired, likable bachelor. Their investigation would reveal Walter Samples had been living a double life. Walter's friends and neighbors told police he was this average sort of guy, and they could not even begin to answer the question of who had motive to poison him. He was level-headed and a smart businessman, so much so that he was known as the guy to go to when you had financial problems. He helped his veteran friends with income taxes, advised their widows on how to manage their money, even helped draw up wills for several friends. When you wanted to get your life in order, you talked to Walter, who had a steady income from his $200 a month pension, along with his four rental properties. Now, at the time he died, Walter had $300 in the bank, a $2,000 life insurance policy, the rentals in Memphis, and some land in Arkansas. All in, his estate was valued at about $10,000, which would be about $180,000 today. Walter's life looked pretty average to investigators until they learned he was not a bachelor and had been hiding a lot from his neighbors and friends. Turns out, Walter Samples had been married before he left Missouri, but the marriage ended in divorce and his ex-wife had died years before Walter. Police also learned the man who everyone thought was living this lonely bachelor life had been seeing numerous women of all ages and walks of life. During a search of Walter's home, police found photographs of at least a dozen women he had been seeing over the past year. Some of the women were fully clothed in those pictures, others were not. And some of those photos had messages on the back, including, with love, to my daddy samples. Investigators learned Walter had showered some of the women with extravagant gifts, which seemed strange 
for a man who was known to be tight and sensible with his money. It was like there were two Walters. By day, the sensible, tidy, lonely guy. And by night, a Lothario who had been intimate with several women. And some of those women were married or in long-term relationships. After questioning all of the women Walter was known to have been seeing and their partners and husbands, the detective leading the investigation into Walter Samples' murder put it this way, Mr. Samples was a lamb by day and a wolf by night. Women repeatedly told investigators Walter had this hold over them. They kept coming back to him for different reasons. Some praised Walter's lovemaking. Others praised his taste in gifts he showered them with. But a few expressed fear, said they were trapped because Walter hinted at disclosing their affair to their partner. A couple of the women seemed to truly be in love with Walter, but most felt tied to him as he was dragging them down into the depths of despair in a relationship they felt they could not end. To investigators, it looked more and more like jealousy and revenge had driven someone to murder Walter Samples. Walter's brother Donald arrived in Memphis just days after the murder, and he remained in town to follow the investigation. He and his wife stayed at Walter's house, and Donald agreed to talk to reporters two weeks into the investigation, saying he did not believe his brother had had multiple affairs. But he did believe his brother was a victim of greed and jealousy. When he spoke to the press, Donald repeatedly told them to look for the female. He didn't know who this was, but he said he was convinced a woman murdered his brother. And in a twist fitting of Walter Sample's secret life, it would be a woman who helped break the case wide open. Walter's friend, Shirley. Now, following his death, Shirley stopped by Walter's house to see his brother Donald and his wife. Weeks into the investigation, there were constant articles in the commercial appeal about Walter's murder and all the women he had been seeing, which sparked a memory for Shirley. She told Donald Samples that she felt like she may need to tell police about a strange encounter she had in Walter's house two years earlier. She said she was visiting Walter when another widow of a Spanish-American War veteran stopped by. And she broke into tears, was visibly distraught, because as she explained to Walter, she had lost her purse and the $35 inside. Walter comforted her and assured her everything would be all right, and he introduced this woman to Shirley as Mrs. House. Shirley said the encounter was memorable because when she was leaving, she looked back and she saw Mrs. House peering after her from the front window, and the look Mrs. House had on her face made Shirley very uncomfortable. Now, as Shirley was telling Donald Samples this story, he realized he and his wife had met a Mrs. House when they visited Walter in Memphis six years earlier. They reported the meetings to police, 
who tracked down Bertha Hamilton House. Bertha and her husband, Lewis, were in their early 40s, and back in October 1940, had moved from Memphis to a newly acquired 1,400-acre farm just outside of Columbus, Mississippi, which is where Memphis police met the houses at Green Pastures Farm. They questioned Lewis and Bertha for six hours. Bertha explained she knew Walter, had met him about a decade ago when she was selling washing machines. He had been kind to her, but she maintained the relationship was strictly business. Lewis said he knew nothing of Walter's murder and said there was no way his wife would be involved. When investigators left the house's farm, they felt something was off, was a little suspicious with the house's story. They were convinced Lewis' house was a jealous husband who had poisoned Walter in an effort to seek revenge for his wife's betrayal. But Donald Samples said it seemed odd that a rather well-built man like Lewis House would poison Walter. Donald was convinced if anyone had done it, it was Bertha, reminded police to look at the woman. Two weeks later, in late March 1941, police lured Bertha and Lewis House to Memphis. They posed as businessmen interested in doing business with them. The moment the houses entered Memphis city limits, they were pulled over and Lewis was arrested on suspicion of murder. Bertha was held as a material witness. On Friday, April 4th, Memphis police called a press conference to announce Lewis House had confessed to putting the poison milk bottle on Walter Sample's front porch because he was jealous of the relationship between Walter and his wife. Bertha House became hysterical when she heard her husband had confessed, telling reporters her husband was innocent and he must have been driven crazy by all of the police questioning. So crazy that he confessed to a crime he didn't commit. And Bertha's willingness to talk so openly to reporters led police to question her again. She had told police her relationship with Walter was never physical. But in interviews, she said she'd had an intimate relationship with Walter since 1929, before and after her marriage to Lewis. She also confessed to stealing around $8,000 from her husband to give to Walter Samples. It was a repayment on a loan she had hidden from her husband. Bertha told anyone who would listen that Walter was no angel. In fact, she referred to him as a human vampire. Bertha tried to convince police of her husband's innocence, saying many other women and their husbands and lovers had motive to kill Walter for the way he used and mistreated them. And police realized Bertha knew Walter had at least a dozen lovers, which was something that surprised the other women they interviewed who had been involved with him. Investigators began looking at the house's financial records and found Walter Samples had indeed, and I'm quoting here, bled Mrs. House for all her money. This had put pressure on the house's marriage. 
When they purchased green pastures in late 1940, friends believed they had paid cash for the farm and believed the couple to be well-to-do. But authorities learned the houses placed a small down payment on the property, and at the time of Lewis's arrest, they were past due on making the mortgage payments. In a search of the house's Mississippi farm, police found key pieces of evidence. Milk bottles, identical to the bottle left on Walter's porch, along with rat poison. When questioned behind bars about that choice of poison, Lewis House said it was only fitting since Walter Samples was a low-down, dirty rat. Investigators also found Walter Samples' will, which named Mrs. Bertha House as sole beneficiary to his estate. After Walter passed, no one could find a will, which seemed odd considering this was the man who helped other people put their affairs in order. When the will was shown to Donald Samples, he told investigators it made no sense. There was no evidence his brother would have named Bertha House as sole heir of his estate. Police sent the will to the FBI for analysis and a handwriting analyst found Walter's signature was a forgery. Bertha House was arrested and along with Lewis, she was charged with first degree murder. They were jointly indicted with each declaring the other to be innocent. Bertha and Lewis House pled not guilty with Lewis recanting his confession when they stood trial in the summer of 1941. At trial, a neighbor of Walter Samples placed Bertha House near Walter's home early on the morning. He found that bottle of milk on his front porch. This proved to be damaging testimony for Bertha, but husband and wife were convicted of murder. Bertha and Lewis were sentenced to 20 years in prison, but their case took an unexpected turn in April 1942 when Bertha and Lewis House walked out of prison. Their attorneys appealed the House's conviction before the Tennessee Supreme Court, arguing that the Shelby County Criminal Court had made a mistake when they allowed a statement of confession from Lewis House to be presented as evidence at trial. That's because Lewis and his attorney made a deal with authorities that he would confess to the crime on the condition his wife be released and he only be charged with manslaughter. Neither condition had been met, which meant the statement was improperly introduced at trial. The Supreme Court agreed and reversed their convictions and ordered a new trial. Bertha and Lewis House were released from prison, but again faced imprisonment when their second trial began in 1943. On the second day of that trial, while jury selection was still underway, Bertha House suddenly jumped up from her seat and rushed toward the judge. Bertha told him she couldn't stand the guilt of what she had done. And the judge ordered everyone in the courtroom to be calm and then cleared the courtroom and told Bertha she could speak her mind. Bertha House told the judge Lewis was innocent, that she alone had poisoned Walter Samples 
and her husband had confessed to try to protect her. When pressed to explain what she had done, Bertha admitted she knew Walter loved drinking milk with every meal, which is why she planted that poisoned milk bottle on his porch. She explained she had struggled to remain faithful to her husband and resist Walter for more than a decade. But Walter had an unnatural hold on her. All the while he was doing the same thing to her, sleeping with women of all ages. She felt the only way to be free was to kill Walter and figured forging the will would be an easy way to get some of her husband's money back. Once Bertha came clean, so did Lewis, who broke down in tears and told the judge he had confessed to try to save his wife. The judge ordered all charges against Lewis House dismissed, and Bertha House was convicted of Walter's murder and once again sentenced to 20 years in prison. It's hard to say which thing shocked Memphis more in 1941. Walter Sample's murder or the revelations of his double life. The strange thing is, Walter's hobby of lovemaking and using women may have gotten him killed, but ultimately, having a cold cost him his life. The day before the milk arrived on his front porch, Walter had told a couple of friends at a committee meeting that he had been suffering from a cold, said he could hardly taste or smell a thing. The rat poison in the milk Walter drank had a distinctive odor of phosphorus, which had a bitter taste. If Walter had been able to taste or smell that milk, he would have known something was wrong, especially considering how much he loved milk and how finicky he was about what he ate and drank. Perhaps Walter Samples would have lived for decades or maybe revenge was coming his way one day, and Bertha House got there first. As the saying goes, the only thing stronger than a lover's love is a lover's hate. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. To see photos and sources for this episode, check the show notes at southernmysteries.com. And if you like Southern Mysteries and want to hear more, you can hear bonus episodes when you join me on Patreon. You can catch up on all the Southern Mystery Shorts episodes at patreon.com slash southern mysteries. And to ensure you never miss a new episode, make sure you tap the follow button where you're listening now so you always see when that new episode goes live since this is a bi-weekly show. And if you like Southern Mysteries and want to encourage others to listen, rate and review the show where you're listening now so other folks know it's worth checking out. It's another way to support the podcast. I appreciate that and appreciate you so much for listening to Southern Mysteries. 